Okay, recording. You have a story to tell, and maybe you've thought, I should start a podcast. Meet Anchor. It's a powerful app that lets you record a podcast anywhere and get it heard everywhere. All you need to do is download the free Anchor app and hit record. Just go to anchor.fm slash get started. Make a podcast with Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash get started. Great. I think we got it. What's up, guys? Welcome to Juice Podcast. My name is Solman Ali at Somali NBA on Twitter. Well, this is one of the most downloaded episodes of the year. This is our trade deadline preview episode. We're going to be joined by Jonathan Fagan of the Houston Chronicle, previewing all things Houston Rockets on the March 25th trade deadline this season. Talking all things PJ Tucker, Victor Oladipo, amongst other players. I don't think the Rockets are discussing only those two players. It should be a very active trade deadline for the Rockets. I don't know how many moves they'll end up making, but I guarantee you there will be a lot of smoke, uh, and we'll see how much fire there is. I hope you guys enjoy the podcast. And we are joined by the esteemed Jonathan Vega of the Houston Chronicle. Jonathan, how you doing? I am fine, thank you. So I got this question on some other podcast, and I thought it was great, so I wrote it down, and I thought I'd ask you the same thing. The Rockets have now lost 14 games in a row. How has it been going from covering like a legitimate title contender in the mix every year to covering this version of the Rockets? Are you approaching the job any differently? Um, it, it, the answer is going to surprise people. It, some years when the Rockets were really good was similar to cover to this. And the reason was it the, the 65 win year, when they had the two really long winning streaks, especially the first one, every night was almost the same. And the more interesting stories are when things change, when one game is different from the one previous. And what we're experiencing now to write about, the games are all the same. Uh, there's just We're not getting that. And then the other part of it, which is also similar to when they had the really good years, as you approach the trade deadline, you know there's deals coming. The motivations for the deals and even the types of deals are going to be different, very different. But it's not like a team that is generally standing pat, maybe makes a deal around the edges. Uh, in both cases, you know it's going to, there are trades coming and there will involve rotation players either coming in or going out or both and so in some ways this year other than some of the things that are peculiar to this year throughout the league you know there are certain things that are unprecedented but other than those things in a lot of ways covering this team this year has reminded me at least of some of the really good years yeah it's 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 funny because yesterday i had a similar thought going through the schedule looking to see you know where the rockets could possibly nag a win i remember going through the schedule in the 65 win season and, and thinking where are they possibly going to lose like i think the warriors were the only you know team on the schedule i was like okay yeah that that that's a team where it, it's going to be really compelling 
And on on this this version of the Rockets, I'm looking and I'm like, okay, this might be an, this might be a team they might be able to get a win over. And other than that, I, I just see a lot of losses. But mentally, for, for me, I have shifted gears. Like I, this is my this is the first time I've ever covered a bad team. I've I've only covered the Rockets when they were good, and I, I'm having to think about the team entirely differently. I think I'm more thinking about them in in broad strokes as opposed to each individual game. I think each individual game matters a little bit less and that the the big areas to focus on are the trade deadline, free agency, the draft. And I feel like that's kind of where your diehard fan is interested in. And, you know, as far as the game to game element, I'm sure there are fans watching every game to this day. I don't think they're necessarily as invested in these players as they are may, maybe a year or two ago. Well, certainly they don't even know them. You know, yeah. There's some excitement about Kevin Porter Jr. because he's – it's been a long time. Since, it's, since 2015, the Rockets had a first-round pick, and even though he wasn't their pick, and he was barely technically officially in the first round, the last pick of the first round, he, he's a lottery-caliber talent, and he's a 20-year-old – and so people like hope. I mean, that I've said this a hundred times. So I've probably said it on a, a previous one of your podcasts, but hope is the oxygen of sports. And in all teams, free agency or the draft is so big, or for that matter, signing day for college sports fans is so big because it's hope. Well, he's something that I think as the year goes on, people will focus more on because it's hope. It's something that can promise for something better down the road. Uh, and so there'll be some attention for that. Uh, you know, something like the draft lottery, that's one night, you know, it, and it's huge for the Rockets, but, or I think it will be, uh, but it's one night and there's no control. It's pure luck. But uh, I, I, yes, what people will view even if they win a game, you know, the the next one they win, the one that breaks the losing streak, whenever that comes, it doesn't change anything, you know. And obviously a loss now doesn't change anything. It doesn't change motivations for the moves they'll make. Wins or losses can't at this point change that. So, yeah, the games themselves, it's more for what you can glean from them than just the final score. So the trade deadline is less than two weeks away. I think we both expect the Rockets to be pretty active. Uh, you reported before the All-Star break that Houston has no interest in trading their veterans just to improve their lottery odds. That doesn't necessarily mean they won't trade veterans at the deadline. It just means any deal they make will be independent of their lottery odds. Reading the lot, reading the article, the sense I got was that they don't want to lean into a full-blown Sam Hinkie-esque tank right now because of the uncertainty surrounding their pick situation with OKC and Miami. Um, two questions. Is that an accurate read of your reporting? And two, to your knowledge, has that thinking changed at the front office? <laughs> I was wondering if that was going to be two. <laughs> well, because, you know, they didn't know John Wall would get hurt in the, at the end of the first practice of the season's second half. And Eric Gordon will get hurt in the first game of the second half. They c- could not have predicted those things. And so the hope and any benefit that would come, even if they didn't make the playoffs, but any benefit that they would come, uh, that could come from being competitive and winning games 
Now, you can't sit and hope for that. That said, the same factors apply in that, for instance, Victor Oladipo. If you trade him, unless you're bringing back expiring contracts or unless you trade him into someone's cap space or trade exception, you got to bring back $21 million worth of contracts. Well, they better be people you want more than you would want the cap room. And that hasn't changed. No matter how much they lose, that doesn't change. That they they can be a more of a player. I shouldn't word it that way. They can have a larger tool in free agency than two-thirds of the league in cap space unless they take back contracts that go beyond this year. That part hasn't changed. So the advantage of being in their position in trade talks that if they were just to say, give me picks, give me, I just need picks. That's all I want. You can have my veterans. Well, they're over the cap. They still got to bring the money back. And that gets tough. The other part is they would weigh bringing in the long range guy. In other words, they'll walk down the aisle with someone if it's the right someone. And they have all kinds of combinations to do that. You could add Dante Exum's contract to P.J. Tucker's and go for a $17 million player. You can add P.J. Tucker's to Victor Oladipo's and go for a $29 million player. It just has to really be somebody you want long-term more than you'd want to pursue someone in free agency. And then the one other thing to consider in all of that is a lot of teams, I think seven to nine, but let's say seven, in the 20 million or more range, they, they saved their allowance to chase Giannis and other free agencies, whether you go back to Tatum or some of the other guys who've signed long-term. Well, now those guys all lined up and signed long-term. There's fewer 20 to 30, especially $40 million free agents coming up. So the competition for them is a lot harder. Having that cap room might not be as much of an advantage. It's a lot better than the mid-level exception, but having that cap room might not be as much of an advantage as the Rockets would have hoped. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Victor Oladipo because he was a big part of your story. Uh, Oladipo is obviously a big name and an expiring contract. He will be a free agent this year, so it's only natural that his name comes up in discussions. Even in the national media, he's being talked about a lot. I think a lot of people assumed Houston acquired him in the Harden deal with the intent to trade him. And that thinking kind of got fortified for some people when he turned down the extension from Houston. I never got the sense that it was a virtual certainty that he would be traded. I think Houston wanted to see how things would play out uh, because it's a more malleable contract to explore things at the deadline and in free agency than Karis LeVert. And you wrote about the idea of letting Oladipo's contract potentially expire uh, and being att- attractive because of that additional space you just talked about, right? Now, as of this moment, I do think he will be traded. I don't think it's a certainty. What's your read on that right now? Do you think Do you think Oladipo is in Houston past March 25th? Yeah. I don't, I mean, I wouldn't even be in any way, even the slightest bit surprised if he is traded. But the uh, it's hard to trade a guy who makes $21 million for just expiring contracts or for someone you want to pay that much long-term. That's hard. It doesn't happen at the trade deadline as often as it happens in the off-season. And so they absolutely would and could, but whether they can, whether it works out to be a good deal, and, and a better way to put it, whether it works out to be a better deal 
than cap room, that's where I'm not so sure they can get it done. And there's also a thought I've heard around the league. Uh, People who know Oladipo maybe more than even the Rockets have had a chance to is some guys in their contract year play extra hard and they have their best year and, and everything else. Well, Victor Oladipo generally plays hard. He plays on both ends of the floor. He, he's not going to suddenly start defending. He's always been a guy who defends. But I don't know. Is he feeling the pressure of it? Is, why can't Victor Oladipo shoot threes anymore? You know, in some ways, I don't think he's playing badly. I think he's shooting terribly. But he's doing some good things. Would he be a guy, and then the next, if you say yes, it becomes, yeah, but would you take that chance? But he, is he a guy, if you, if he was signed, if he then relaxes and play and can be more of what he had been, you know, that, that's a big gamble to take. Nobody was ever surprised that he turned down the extension. He, he want, he's going to sign for more than two years. And at the time he was thinking he'd get at least that much money for more than two years. The harder question is, will he turn it down if they offer what they can after the season, which is four more years? Yeah, that, that's going to be interesting. It's tough for me seeing Houston make Oladipo a priority in free agency. I I think Oladipo uh, will be one of the most sought after free agents on the market, as you said. All, all these other free agents signed extensions, so he will be in demand. And it's really tough to predict the free agent market and and what guys will get. Like I I remember having a certain feeling about Gordon Hayward going into free agency last last summer. And my expectations of what he will get got completely blown out of the water by Charlotte, right? And I, I, it feels like a similar situation here with Odipo. I, I don't suspect that he will demand the full max, but you look at the market and it's like, yeah, he, he might just do that just by virtue of teams having space and nowhere to put the money, right? And, I don't know, like, I, his shooting has been really bad this season, as you mentioned. He, I, I'm not sure what his market value is. I, I think, I think there are teams that are willing to gamble on him, but really, if you're trading for him, you can't just gamble on him. You're, you're probably going to give up an asset because Houston's not going to do the deal if it's an asset. And I, I'm not sure how strong that asset's going to be. I, I, my sense is that if, if Houston does a deal, it's going to be a team that obviously wants to win right now. And it's going to be to a team that gives them probably expiring money because uh, I, I, I get the sense that that's kind of what they're looking for. And if, if they're looking for expiring money, that that, that second asset's got to be good, right? The, the, the asset coming back in the deal has to be worth it, worth Houston's while in even executing the deal. And that's kind of where things separate, and I just don't see a, a deal right now. No, that's hard. And even harder to think of someone who has a player with more years than that team wants, but is a good enough team to want Victor Oladipo potentially short term. That's a really weird combination to have, to have, okay, I, I can't even think of the name or I'd throw one out there, but a guy who makes that much money and has years left on his contract. So, okay, we'd rather move him for the expiring guy. Who is that? And yet is a good enough team that thinks Victor Oladipo puts them over the top or, or makes them a contender. Or is there a, a expiring guy that some, for instance, 
the an example, the, the Rockets didn't take back Jared Allen because he's going to go be a free agent and make $20 million probably. And they weren't going to be able to keep him. It wouldn't make sense to pay 20, 22, whatever million dollars to Christian Wood's backup. You know, it's not a good way to spend your cap room. Well, is there a team that feels the same way? Does Atlanta feel that way about John Collins? That, you know, we just spent all this money. We have all these long-term guys we just signed. We can't spend that much on him, but maybe we could on Victor Oladipo. I'm trying to make one up and it just doesn't seem to make sense. You know, yeah. that's what the kind of thing. Is there one of those out there? And it's really hard to think of one where someone else says, we can't spend that much to keep this guy, but we can spend that much to keep your guy. I guess maybe you could, you could look at Boston because of the trade exception they own, but you get the sense that there aren't going to be many minutes there because when Marcus Smarts get back, gets back, I'm not sure where you play Oladipo in that rotation. It's just tough. It's just tough because there aren't many logical landing spots because of the, the stuff we just talked about. Kelly Oubre. Yeah. You know, I mean, just, yeah, Marcus Smart is back, right? You know, Evan Fournier, I know. I mean, you know, rebuilding around him, Will Barton, you know, it's just, I don't think any of these names, I actually, you know, inexpensive guy, uh, or at the moment inexpensive, Nick, not Nick Summer, Duncan Robinson. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at that point, Houston might have to throw in an asset because of the way those, you know, Oladipo's value is trending and Duncan Robinson's value is trending. Well, but does Toronto say, you know, we want Kyle Lowry here for the rest of his career? Norman Powell, you know, and then again, Norman Powell, well, then if, if, then why trade for Victor Oladipo? Cause if you can keep Oladipo, you could have kept Powell. You know, we could just do this all day. And that's why going back to your original question, is he more likely to be traded or to be here at the end of this month? Well, if you and I can't even make one up where the other team doesn't have a say in it, (laughs) it's really hard to think of one that is likely to happen. This episode is brought to you by Cox Home Life. Cox helps make your home smarter. And now you can see what's happening around your home right from your couch. Just pull up your home life cameras on your TV with your contour voice remote and some simple voice commands. Need to keep an eye on the kids when they're outside? Say, show me my backyard camera. And to see who's at the door, just say, show me my front porch camera. To learn more, visit cox.com slash thisishome. Life is too short to sleep between anything less than really nice sheets, but maybe you looked at some retailers and calculated the years of interest you'd pay on just one set and gave up. Trust me, go check out Brooklinen. So Brooklinen was started by Rich and Vicky, who also tried to find beautiful home incentives that didn't cost an arm and a leg. And when they couldn't, they founded Brooklinen as the first direct-to-consumer betting company. They work directly with manufacturers to make luxury available directly to you without the luxury level markups. Brooke Lennon has a variety of sheets, colors, patterns, and materials to fit your needs and tastes. Brooke Lennon has over 50,000 five-star reviews and countings. They are so confident you will love their products. They even offer a 365-day money-back guarantee. And Brooke Lennon is so much more than sheets. They've got comforters, pillows, towels, even loungewear, and more. 
Go to brooklinen.com and use promo code REDHOOPS to get $25 off when you spend $100 or more, plus free shipping. That's brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com and enter code REDHOOPS to get $25 off when you spend $100 or more, plus free shipping. brooklinen.com and use promo code REDHOOPS at checkout. Yeah, what's interesting is I actually don't think Oladipo is, has the most trade value on Houston's roster out, outside of Christian Wood. I actually think that's Eric Gordon. Uh, Gordon's had a really strong bounce back season. His two way ability is well known across the league. He's big, he's been in big playoff moments for the past few years. And he's someone coaches generally trust in crunch time of high leverage situations. That's obviously made much more complicated by his, his recent groin injury. That's going to put him out for the next four to six weeks. I think we all know with a couple years remaining on his contract, his future is not in Houston. It's somewhere else. And it's not a matter of of if Houston trades him. It's a matter of when. Did this injury complicate the kind of stuff the Rockets were exploring at the deadline? Uh, or were you expecting him to remain in Houston throughout the season anyways? Yeah, I thought he was much more likely to remain here than, say, Victor or certainly P.J., um, I, they're open for business, of course, you know, and teams all know it. And, you know, the, and the other thing is the Rockets are hoping that because of the play-in games, far more teams are willing to just try and load up and chase a playoff spot than in most seasons. There are, if there are fewer sellers, then it, it's more of a seller's market than a buyer's market. And maybe that could, help them. In other words, it would take more to get Eric Gordon, but the Rockets really like Eric Gordon. You know, one of the the weird things among many weird things about the Rockets season, they really haven't had a chance to evaluate their own team. You know, the, the combination of Oladipo, Wall, Wood, and Gordon have had, those four guys have played in two games together. Just two. Even Wood, Oladipo, and Wall have played in just three games together. When the Rockets want to evaluate their own team, it's more like evaluating other players on other teams where you do the best you can, you scout, you look at video, you do everything you can, but it's not like when you evaluate your own players. In the Rockets' case, it is. It's like they really don't know yet what they've got, not to the way a team normally would at the trade deadline. It's, it's just, and all that goes back to, they do know Eric Gordon. They, they feel like they know Eric Gordon better than anybody. And they, they like Eric. They, they absolutely view him as part of their closing lineup in games, as you mentioned. Uh, and so they, they don't think it's a terrible contract. I and mean, it's just, they weren't as motivated to move him as obviously they would with PJ. And the uncertainty would be. Now, would he be more likely than Oladipo? He would be the guy that appeals to the team that wants a guy at the trade deadline that they're going to keep for years. Well, Oladipo, you don't know who you're going to keep. But some teams prefer the short term of Oladipo. Some teams prefer the long term of Eric Gordon. Right. If you're trading for Oladipo, you're essentially trading for his bird rights and you know the ability to pay him in free agency. I'm not sure... How many teams are attracted to that particular idea right now? Or if you think he puts you over the top. Right. If you think, 
I'm a contender. I'm in that group, but I'm not Philadelphia. You know, I'm not the Lakers or Jazz. I need something to move me to that echelon, even if I lose them. Yeah. And, and, you know, you mentioned the Rockets not being able to see their full team. That That's obviously also complicated by this COVID situation. You know, they haven't had much practice time to work with either. And it's just – this whole season has just been so weird to evaluate teams, not only the Rockets but other teams, just to see how their rosters mesh together. It's just like – Here's a personal question, I guess. Like, have you enjoyed this NBA season? Has this been a fun year for you to cover? No, not really. And, and I mean, they're all fun. It, I'm, you know, it's I do this for a living, right? So. Yeah. <laughs> so, but compared to others, for one thing, I love being all over the country. I miss my places that I go. You know, my little dump of a Chinese place in Washington. The, you know, my, I, just all, uh, so obviously, uh, someone who travels as much as I do to suddenly never travel, it's been very strange. This seems to be a really good team to work with. Like, uh, you know, moving away from the personal standpoint, I, I had a conversation about Christian Wood, I, with Christian Wood. I, I did a story about, uh, one year ago, the, the shutdown of the season, and I focused it on, I think five different people in different areas of the Rockets organization. Christian Wood was one of them. And just getting to talk to him rather than always a Zoom interview, it was really good. He seemed to be the kind of guy you want to get to talk to. As we do traditionally, I do more on the road than at home, but you do in locker rooms. You do on the side of the practice court or, or shoot-arounds. Well, that doesn't happen anymore. Everything is just ask your question. You know, and then move to the next guy. So relationship building just doesn't happen at a time the Rockets have a roster in which you'd, I'd like to get to talk to John Wall more. You, you know, uh, there's guys like that. They, they have a lot of really stand-up guys in a tough season. This would have been the year, you know, to get to talk to the players that you cover and not just interview them, talk to people, have, you know, get to know them. And so taking that away it's just such a drag of a year to not have that. Yeah, I get the sense that other beat guys around the league feel the same way. Like, guys just generally let let their guard down when they see you a lot in their environments, right? Like, when they see you in the locker room enough, you can pull them to the side and have a conversation with them on or off the record. And you, usually that on-the-record interview is, is better the more time you spend around them. And, and if you're just randomly scheduling a Zoom interview with them, it's just not the same as, you know peering up next to their workplace and actually, you know, talking to them as a normal person, like talking to them on zoom, it just, it makes them, it makes it feel like you're, you're interviewing an athlete more than when you're actually interviewing an athlete in person. And sure. Yeah. You know, and I go back to the days when locker rooms were open after practice and you would have conversations. It wouldn't only be, I ask a question, you answer it. I write down the answer and then I put it in my story. You know, it would be actual conversations about things and some of that lasted i mean you were probably there lots of times chris paul would call me over and sometimes it would be to vent about something but he would do that and we would do that on the road more and james and i would have a few walk and talks that's not much but it's certainly not like in the old days 
but you do a few of those. You know, I haven't done, you can't do a walk and talk now no. <laughs> unless you're going to walk down the hallway in your house and talk to yourself. Yeah. You know, just, uh, and so, yeah. And then, you know, James, and I would always do one before the all-star break. We'd always have a longer sit down one. And, uh, you know, the, those things have all been gone this year. So like, you know, I bring up the phone conversation, you know, PJ and I would do that all the time. And now I can't even just have a conversation with PJ about what he's dealing with and his decision to not play last night. You know, that, that is really weird and he's going to get traded and I'll never get to say anything about these last four years. You know, PJ is unbelievably cooperative to the media guy and you know, whatever you need, the answer is yes. You know, yep. and pre well, I can't say a word to him. He's going to be playing for some other team before I ever actually, I mean, I could call him, but you know, I have a feeling, but, and that's what's changed too. If I called him now, I think he would think I want to interview him, which of course I'd like to, but even if I didn't want to interview him, he's, if he sees that number come up, he's going to think, I'm not doing an interview now. I, that would be wrong thing to do in his situation. Yeah. Well, no, I just want to talk. Yeah, and PJ is the kind of guy who hates these formal uh sit down and like just any sort of interview with a scrum of people. He really tries his best to avoid them, even in person. I'm I'm thinking back at times where he would leave the locker room early after a game just to avoid that, or he would tell uh you know Tracy, I I, I just don't want to do it today. And Tracy would have to bring us somebody else because PJ didn't want to do that. Whereas in a one-on-one setting, he's, he seems to be much more comfortable with that. And PJ is not the only player like this. There are players like this across the league who just enjoy that informal one-on-one interview and seem to open up a little bit more. Uh, we've been robbed of some potentially amazing stories this season because of this COVID stuff. And I realize that's, it's, that's the least of anyone's problems. We have, much bigger issues to tackle here as a society and <laughs> nobody cares about this, but it, it is, uh, it is unfortunate that, that, that element of this season, in addition to the other strangeness of the season has been lost. Yeah. Although I will say, uh, I had a phone interview with Kevin Porter Jr. a few days ago. Uh, story actually is online now. Um, uh, it's our Sunday story, but we put it online on Friday. And it was really fun to talk to him. And it was funny because he's so young. He's 20 years old is really young and he really does sound like a 20 year old or teenager. And, uh, but as he opened up a little more, it was really pretty fun to talk to him. And what's cool about a guy like that is he's got that confidence of, you know, I've always been the best player on any court I went on until I got in the NBA where of course, there's other people who all were the best player on any court. They, and so he's got that confidence. And he showed it a little bit in his post-game Zoom interview last night where he said, yeah, there's some similarities between James Harden and I uh, in that, you know, we're both left-handed. We both like step-back threes, but I'm much more athletic and I would dunk on him. Yeah. You know, that's there, – there's – he – and it is similar to young James where James was always wildly ambitious – and he would say things like that, you know, what your, what's your goal? To be viewed as one of the best who ever played the game, to be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, what do you think, you, where do you play, where is your place in the league right now? I'm the best player in the league. And for a few years, he'd say that to whatever national guy, and they go, whoa, 
oh, can you believe he said that? Well, yeah, we believe he said it because of the other 15 times he said it. <laughs> you know, but it would be, oh, every time. Well, Kevin Porter Jr. has kind of that ambition and, and sort of great athlete confidence. Uh, he's got a lot of work to do to make the most of the, the tools he has. Uh, as James did, James was a worker. Uh, but it, it's kind of fun talking to guys like that. Yeah, his game to me is so interesting because it's very slow mo esque in that it's you it's kind I find it hard that he's getting past guys so easily even at the NBA level right like it's just it's just strange that he's able to do that um it's it's not it's not the exact same as Harden but kind of like that like Harden was able to get guys off past that first step and he's he's able to do that at such a young age you know well he james takes it to levels yeah you know very i mean paul pierce maybe you know going faster than the other guy by going slow it's just a great that luca does that now and gets a lot of attention for it it's funny because i thought porter last night De'Aaron fox almost looks faster when he slowed down in his second nba season you know, where, okay, you're going too fast. Just be faster than the other guy. Well, that makes him look really quick. And I, I know what you mean. I think it's a great point that Porter Jr., for such a young guy, it doesn't seem to ever be in a hurry. And that's a great and unusual quality to have. Yeah. Um, getting back to PJ, um, because the moment James got traded, I think most of us expected that PJ would follow suit at the deadline. Uh, Tucker's been itching for extension for some time now. I mean, this goes back to before the Westbrook trade, uh, the Chris Paul era. He was talking about an extension. The Rockets guaranteed his last season as a show of good faith, but never, for, never formally committed to extending him. It came out yesterday that, that the two sides did discuss an extension this season in the neighborhood of $17 million for two years, with $7 million being non-guaranteed. But Tucker's camp basically tanked the negotiations by countering with a two-year, fully guaranteed $24 million offer. And he is going to be away from the team until they find a, a new home for him. A couple of questions. Um, what can the Rockets realistically expect to get for Tucker? Because I think he can still help a contender. And... Why did this end up so ugly? Like, is Tucker really expecting to receive numbers like this in free agency? Well, you know, and I wrote that before the season that he, that they offered him the two years, but the second year was only partially guaranteed and he wanted the full offer to be guaranteed. If they guaranteed the full second year that they offered back then, I I think he'd have taken it. I, I think that was, well, I wrote then that that was the stumbling block that the, the first year was guaranteed, but the second year wasn't. Um, yeah, I don't know what he now expects, but yeah, I think he expects both years to be guaranteed. I mean, that's what I was told back at the time. And, uh, you know, is he overvaluing himself? That That's why he needs to move. And the Rockets understand this, that he can't show his value with this team because this team needs him to do things that he's not equipped to do. He needs to go to a team that needs what he brings and doesn't put him in a position to have to do something he can't do well, you know, which is what the Rockets had been. Uh, And they know that, and he knows that for himself. He needs to get there 
and he needs to get there as soon as possible to sort of demonstrate what he can be, even if he doesn't re-sign with the team that acquires him. He needs to be somewhere where they just need him to to defend a, a variety of different best players. You know, the LeBron, go from LeBron James to, you know, you, you could do whatever, you know, to James Harden, whichever ones you want to start listing. Uh, they need him to want to do that and then just get in the corner, take your corner threes. The Rockets offense has so much more motion than it used to. and They, they need him to do more. And it's just not his thing. And the harder question, I've had people around the league wonder this. Has, has, is he worn down from, I mean, the guy's played more than anybody in the league since he's been back in the league by far, 20 games more than anyone. Is he worn down and hard minutes, you know, where you're matched up day after day and you, in, in PJ's case, he has to redline all the time. You know, he's not so athletic. He has to be all out all the time. Is he worn down, and is that why he's shooting the way he is, or is it because of all the changes around him? And no one knows the answer to that. I think it's so. I kind of look at PJ's numbers this year and his three point percentages, and I kind of put them off to the side because I I know he can play better than this. I think he even knows he can play better than this. He like this is kind of. I mean, you look back at his numbers in Phoenix and they didn't pop off the page either. And it just feels like PJ is someone who plays much better when meaningful basketball is in front of him. And I think he knows that, you know, on this team, meaningful basketball is not going to be in front of him for, you know, the rest of his career if he plays it out in Houston. That's obviously not going to happen. But going back to the beginning of the season, I think he kind of saw the end of the road. And it's kind of... I, I kind of think, yes, he's probably on the decline, and yes, he's, his best years are probably behind him. He is not this bad. I think as soon as he gets onto another team, we'll start to see him pop defensively at a level he was in prior seasons. Uh, you know, now when you see great defensive moments from PJ, it, it just kind of surprises you. I mean, obviously before this stoppage, like he, he, it really did pop whenever he had a moment late in a game or something because it, he just wasn't showing it. And I, I think he's better than this. I think as soon as he gets to a team, and I think right now his value is probably like tops out at two second rounders. I don't know what Houston's expecting to get, but I think that's probably the value. As soon as he gets to that team that can, you know, offer up those second round picks, I think he will show what he's worth. And, you know, I, he's probably not worth, you know, two years, $24 million, whatever he was asking for with the Rockets, but I think he will get a team to give him you know, a pretty decent front-loaded contract in free agency. Yeah, that's what this is about, too. He's not a guy who's saying, I got to get my ring now. You know, he needs his last contract. He's not a guy who's had the $20 million a year contract. You know, not, not that anybody's going to hold a bake sale for an NBA veteran, but he knows the next contract's probably his last one. And so he needs to sort of show that somebody wants to give him that contract. And... uh you know, so that that's what he's looking for, and that wasn't going to happen here. Last question. So uh, Kelly Eco of The Athletic reported today that Ben Ben McLemore was drawing interest from a number of contenders ahead of the March 25th trade deadline, um, in addition to, to P.J. Tucker. So I guess my question is, are there any under-the-radar guys like that that are drawing interest that you may not expect the, you know, the Rockets to deal, but aren't in the mix right now. This time of year, 
close your eyes, point to the roster. <laughs> you know, Jason Tate certainly will because of his contract. Is Daniel House, you know, good contract and he can play in a variety of ways. Uh, he hasn't had a very good year, but you know, people kind of know who he is and his contract is good. He's got a good, People are coming here, right? They're getting offers for, not offers, but because it starts with calls and nobody gives your best offer now. I'll, I'll go back to that in a second. But right now the, the vultures are circling. I've had, this goes back to several conversations ago, but someone told me they're calling on this team about everybody. And see what they can steal. There's somebody, not everybody calling about every player, but there's some team looking at just about anybody who plays. There's not calls on Rody Couric's, you know, Justin Patton, uh, probably not Exum. Exum is a contract that could the Rockets attach, which by the way, that would be an interesting one too. You start attaching him to PJ or attaching him to Oladipo. You're talking about somebody you plan to keep for a long time. So, yeah, Ben McLemore, that wouldn't surprise me. A Daniel House, I've heard. Uh, I'm sure Jay Sean Tate. You can name them. If a guy can play at all, because the Rockets don't have a lot of bad contract guys. They're, most of their contracts are pretty good. And so, yeah, that's going to happen. The other thing that I was told more recently than that particular conversation, that there's a pretty good chance things will start popping the beginning of next week. And once one or two happens, is there a chain reaction? There, it, it goes that way sometimes. Normally, though, given what the Rockets are trying to do, because they want players. They don't want so many draft picks that they get guys here and they can't give them a chance and they can't get a good look at them because they, they took so many second-round picks. I think that's why they're not interested in just picks. They're looking for players that they can play, players who will actually get on the court well, that's not happening until closer. Well, it could happen, but I don't think that's happening until closer to the deadline because people aren't giving you your best offer right away. They're trying to now get a steal. The Rockets are hoping for what I mentioned before, that, hey, we'll be sellers, but there's not many sellers out there, so you better come to our price. And so that's so far apart in, in thinking. I don't know that that comes together at the beginning of next week. But I did have one a front office guy tell me he thinks things are going to start in the beginning of next week. And what nobody knows is, does that start the chain reaction? It would not surprise me if the Rockets are among the three most active teams at the trade deadline. It, it certainly could snowball, as you said. Uh, I, I could see guys like Sterling Brown getting moved, David Nwaba. I, I, I could see, you know, getting some interest. It, it is... There, there are a bunch of guys on this team that just aren't making much, right? As you said, Daniel, yeah. Daniel House is, I mean, dirt cheap contract. I mean, he, he's, he's played poorly this season, but he's been a playoff rotation guy. And I'm sure teams understand that he can still be that guy and will sniff around. Um, much like a lot of these other players. Well, in Nawaba, it's not like you say, yeah, I'm not too sure about that Achilles. That's why he hurt his wrist on a dunk. <laughs> you know, it's so there, there's, and he's such a good pro and he plays, so, he, he is really the kind that a contender just likes to put on the floor because he makes plays. He gets loose balls. He, 
selfless, all those things. Sterling Brown is a pro. You know, they'll be interested in those kind of guys for sure. And those are good ones to add to the list. So I don't think the Rockets are trading every single guy they know, but teams, there is somebody calling about anybody who's played. And that goes back to the other weird thing. Then why are they so bad? Why are they in 14th place and have a 14 game losing streak? Maybe the answer is as simple as I can't remember a year with this kind of injury luck. It's, it's mind blowing. When you add John Wall in the first practice and Eric Gordon in the first game of the second half to everything that's already happened, it's just unbelievable. Right. And you were expecting Christian Wood to be back, you know, at the beginning of this and it's, and he's, he's practicing with the team and he's probably going to come back pretty soon. And you were expecting a fairly healthy roster and this just adds on top of all that. It, it, it is, um, it is crazy how bad things have gone for them. Yeah, Tuesday or Wednesday for Wood, probably for Wall as well. Um, to, you know, the next back to back. And then the question is, did they play both games in the back to back? But, you know, I, I don't think either for Boston on Sunday. But yeah, I mean, all the time Wood was out, I'm not sure. I think he was being optimistic of playing as soon as the break ended or playing with some swelling before the break. That made no sense. But, uh, and that's good. The Rockets, to their credit, haven't panicked and, played guys when they shouldn't, you know, and made it worse by turning an injury to some long-term thing. They're going to take their lumps this year. And then that's the other crazy part. If you're going to tank, or, you know, even if you only refer to it as sort of an organizational tank, where who you play or who you trade type of thing, next year would have been the better year to do it (laughs) when the Thunder don't have the pick swap. Although this year you do have the prizes in the drafts. It's a very good draft, but uh, or at least the top of it is. But my gosh, the worst case scenario would be to be so bad that you finish with one of the three or four worst records and then fall out of the top four in the lottery. And so you end up with Oklahoma City benefiting for all the losing. The entire league is going to be watching that pick swap situation on lottery day. It is going to be so fascinating. Um Jonathan, thank you so much for coming on. Where can we follow you on Twitter and read your work at the Chronicle? Well, on Twitter, it's just Jonathan, Jonathan underscore Fagan. And I appreciate your asking. And, uh, yeah, go to the HoustonChronicle.com. Um, you know, most, every, everything is there these days. It used to be in different places. Now it's pretty simple. HoustonChronicle.com. And, uh, yeah, so you got your Kevin. So in other words, it's not all bad news right now. They've got a Kevin Porter feature up, uh, actually right now, went up today. In addition to Eric Gordon out for the way it was worded to me, which is almost the same as it was worded to Woj, was, uh, out at least a month. That's there. You can read all the other, you know, sad stories along <laughs> the Kevin Porter story. Yeah, well, the Kevin Porter Jr. story could be something for Rockets fans to chew on as uh, they have to watch this uh, dreadful team for the next week or so. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Give us five stars on iTunes if you enjoy the show. Yeah, guys, good night.